You're listening to the teaching ministry of Houston's First Baptist Church, a relevant biblical community. For more information, visit houstonsfirst.org. Well, welcome Sienna. Welcome Sienna Cypress downtown, the loop as well, and digital family. So glad that you've joined us. We're in a series called Good Questions. We're going to be in Romans 10 in just a little bit, and you got your listening guide, but on the bottom of that listening guide, it has got a QR code for you to submit some good questions for me to answer as the beginning of our message. Um, and so I'm going to take it just a minute, about five minutes to answer some questions that came in. Now, a lot of questions came in, so I can't answer them all. I tried to group some some that maybe four or five questions and put them all together. And I want y'all to know y'all were tough on me. I want you to know that I was ready for, do you like fajitas or lasagna better? That kind of thing. That's not what came out. It was some good questions. And so uh, we're going to jump into that in just a second and be able to really dig deep into this. Some of them are going to be really deep and really for our hearts. So I just want you to just be ready to ride a roller coaster a little bit. And then we're going to jump in in about five minutes. Uh, we're going to take these good questions and then we're going to jump into our message in Romans chapter 10 in just a second. So here are some good questions that you gave. We're going to put a little countdown timer on here as well. The first question is this. Why did God choose Israel? Why did God choose Israel? That's a great question. First of all, from Romans chapter nine, we did last week, God does whatever he wants to do. That's what we know. Secondly, if you were to look into Deuteronomy chapter seven, you will find that God chose Israel because they were small. They were small. It says this, the Lord did not set his affection on you and choose you because you are more numerous than other people for you were the fewest of all people. So it gave God more glory to choose a small group of folks to shine his glory. Now, if somebody says, prove to me the existence of God, I can give you one word, Israel. The fact that Israel's still on the map proves the existence of God, of all that they've gone through as a people. Uh, Number two, they were made to be a kingdom of priests. That's found in Exodus 19 in Isaiah chapter 42 as well. So I want you to think about Israel like this. I'm going to give you a real low level example. Think about it like a shampoo commercial, okay? You see this beautiful lady in her flowing hair and it makes you want to buy the product, okay? Israel's to be that beautiful lady with the flowing hair saying, look how good God is. You are invited to be a part of it. A kingdom of priests to say to all the other nations, look how good our God is. It's an inclusive choice, not an exclusive choice. God's chosen Israel to highlight, to be able to bring others in as well. Lastly, Israel provides the lineage for the Messiah, Look at Matthew chapter one, and you will find from Abraham to Jesus, a people of Israel to come to bring a Jewish Messiah, to redeem the Jewish people, to open it up to the nations, everyone else, and to receive Christ as Savior. We're going to talk more about that even in the message. Number two, second question, how do you know when you're ready to have kids? How do you know when you're ready to have kids? Well, the first way is if your wife says we're pregnant, that's how you know right there, you are now ready. Give you three words real quick on this. Uh, Number one, there needs to be agreement in your marriage. This is not something you want to surprise somebody with, okay? So you're in agreement in your marriage. Number two, there's the maturity that you're ready to live for someone else in a selfless and loving way towards a child because it's not about you anymore in particular when you have children. Number three, you're prayerful and that you're wanting to raise them in a godly home. And you put those three things together and I think you're, you're gonna find that you're ready. But let me quickly say this, just because you're ready doesn't mean that God's ready, okay? A lot of people that are ready that they're waiting on the Lord. 
and those folks, we love you. We pray for you. And we're going to pray for you in just a minute that God would do his, his work in you and bless you with a child. Um, because just because we're ready doesn't mean that God's ready in that way. And there's a lot of pain that accompanies that. The third question, and this is our deepest one, is this. Is suicide a sin? Is suicide a sin? There's five examples in the scripture of suicide, five specific examples, and they're all negative examples. None of them are positive examples. Suicide is a sin. It is a sin. It is the breaking of the sixth commandment of thou shalt not murder. An individual does not have the authority to take a life. We can't take a life of an unborn. We can't take our own life. We can't take somebody else's life. We don't have that authority. But let me give comfort to the hurting. Let me give comfort to the hurting. Not permission to the contemplating. God can meet you right where you are with a hurting heart if you're grieving a family member or a loved one in any way that has committed suicide. God can meet you right there and he can help your heart and he can heal your heart. And for those that have gotten to a place before, now, or even later, that the darkness is so great that this becomes something that you're contemplating, I want you to know what happened is you've lost hope. And we as humans, when we lose hope, we turn to other things besides God to try to find hope. It can be drinking, it can be drugs, it can be sex, it can be approval, it can be a whole lot of things. It can even be ending your life. And I want you to know that hope is found in Jesus Christ. And you can find that hope and you can regain that hope and people can help you with that. So hopelessness is not answered in suicide. It's answered in Jesus Christ. I want you to know very clearly you are loved you matter, you are a part of God's plan. This is not God's will for your life. Suicide does not heal the pain, it transfers the pain and multiplies the pain. And those that you love will receive that pain, it will be transferred and multiplied and take it from a pastor that has done funerals for suicide. The pain is immense on the people that this person loved. You matter, you, care, you, you are cared for, you are loved tremendously. Things will improve. You can seek help and counseling and medication and most of all, Jesus, to regain your hope. And I want you to consider this moment right here as a word from God, that he knows exactly where you are. Siena, Cyprus, downtown, the Loop, digital family. God knows where you are and consider this a word from God. I wanna show you how easy it is to get help. You can grab your phone, you don't, don't do it, I'm just giving you an example, and here's all you gotta say, you ready? Siri, I'm thinking about committing suicide. Hey Siri, I'm thinking about committing suicide. Well, maybe it's not as easy as I thought, here we go. <laughs> Siri, I am thinking about committing suicide. It sounds like talking with someone might help. The National Suicide Prevention Lifeline offers free and confidential emotional support. Would you like me to call them for you? No. Okay, I won't call. Let me know if there's something else you need. You see that even our phones are programmed to be helpful. It's now a three-digit number, 988, to get help. How amazing is that you turn to God and you turn to others to get help. There's a message, Breakaway Ministries, College Station, the ministry I used to do, uh, Timothy Atik did a whole message on suicide. I listened to it this week. It's very, very good. God loves you. God cares for you. We're here for you, our counseling center. 
we will help you in any way we possibly can. That is not the decision to make, no matter how dark the times are, okay? Let me give you one other, well, we're out of time, but let me give you one other, because I think it's um, important. Well, let's just stop there, we'll stop there. Father, we come in Jesus' name, we thank you, Lord, that you are great, you are amazing, we love you. Lord, there's lots of questions that we could continue on to go, I've even got more prepared, we'll hit them next week. But Lord, we come in Jesus' name and we tell you, Lord, for anybody contemplating any form of self-harm, God, we pray that they would know this is a word from God in this very moment. They would place their trust and their hope in you. They would call out, whether it be to their phone or their friend or their church, to say, I need help. And we will help in a great way, Lord. We thank you for that and we trust you. We ask you, God, that you would do your work in a powerful, powerful way. We love you, Lord. We praise you, God. We thank you that you are so good. Father, we pray for a totally different subject. Those that are, that are wanting children that are unable to have them, Lord, that those married couples, that you would, you would make that happen. You would make that happen and we would just give glory nine months from now and go, wow, look at what God did. And so we trust you with that. We thank you for that. We love you. And we ask you in Jesus' name to do your work. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. All right, let's jump into Romans chapter 10. Romans chapter 10 is where we're gonna be. And if you got your listening guide, you can grab that as well and take some notes along with it. That would be wonderful to do. And you can jump in with us. We've got a lot of good questions, heavy questions we just answered. But for us to jump in and to say, what does Romans 10 say? We're looking at Romans chapters 9 through 11, all the book of Romans we've studied so far. But 9 through 11 go together. And it's talking about salvation. It's talking about Israel. It's talking about all these things. Last week was a challenge in Romans chapter nine, talking about the sovereignty of God. And now we're getting to human responsibility is what we're looking at now. And so as we jump into Romans chapter 10, it's going to ask the question of all questions. Here's the question. What do I need to do to be saved? Isn't that a great question? Can you think of a better question than that? What could be a stronger question? It's better than what kind of car do I need to drive? Where do I need to work? What do I need to do with my life? Does God want me to have enchiladas or tamales after church? It is a question of saying, I wanna know what do I have to do to be saved? What brings salvation? Now, this is a question asked throughout the scriptures. Matthew 19, verse 16, then someone came up and asked him, teacher, this is Jesus, what good must I do to have eternal life? Acts chapter two, verse 37, when they heard this, they were pierced to the heart and they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what should we do then? Acts chapter 16, verse 30 and 31, the jailer was greatly concerned and approached the two of them and falling down before them, he said, sirs, what must I do to be saved? Paul's in prison and the jailer is now asking him, what do I need to do to be saved? Well, Romans 9 is about God's sovereignty. Romans 10 is about man's responsibility. And Romans 11 is about us worshiping because God somehow brings these things together. And so we're gonna look in Romans chapter 10 to see how these things come together. A quote we've been quoting the whole time about Romans 9 and Romans 10, Charles Spurgeon, when asked, how do you reconcile divine sovereignty and human responsibility? He said, I never try to reconcile friends. These two things come together. They go together in ways that we can't process with our mind, but the Lord's got it together and we know that he can take care of it. Look in Romans chapter 10, verses one through four. Here we go. 
Brothers and sisters, Paul's Jewish, so he's calling to the Jewish people, brothers and sisters, my heart's desire and prayer to God concerning them, that's the Jewish people, is for their salvation. I can testify about them that they have zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. Since they are ignorant of the righteousness of God and attempted to establish their own righteousness, they have not submitted to God's righteousness. For Christ is the end, I want you underlined end in your Bible, of the law for the righteousness to everyone, underline everyone, you're gonna see that three times in this passage, everyone who believes. Our first good question is this. Here's our first question, you ready? It's in your listening guide. How do I love people who don't know Jesus? How do I love people who don't know Jesus? Well, the answer is pray consistently for them. How do I love people who don't know Jesus? Pray for them. That's the beginning spot. Lewis Schaefer said, talk to God about man and then talk to men about God. Do you hear the order? Talk to God about man or woman and then talk to men or women about God. So we want to first thing with Paul's right here in Romans chapter 10, he's saying, first thing is I want you to pray for him. You remember Romans chapter nine started with his heart being broken for the people that didn't know Christ and praying for them then. So we see in both chapters, the beginning is a beginning of prayer. What if we prayed fervently for the, for day, daily and fervently for people that are lost that don't know Christ? Who in your life is far from God, but close to you? Who in your life is far from God, but close to you. Well, God's given you a mission field right there. And that's a blessing, not a burden. That's not a, oh no, I don't want to. That's a, oh yes, that's the greatest news I could ever tell. And so you begin praying for them. I, I'm praying for one person. I've been praying, on, unfortunately, if I could say it like that, for years. And he is still tremendously disinterested in the gospel of Christ. So I'm still praying. We've written on the floor of every building we've ever built for the last few years, names of people that we're praying for to come to Christ. It's on the floor of Siena. It's on the floor of downtown. Names are on the floor of Cyprus. Names are on the floor at the Loop. And we're praying for those names to come to Christ. And every person I wrote down at the Loop campus has come to Christ except this one gentleman I'm telling you about right now. So what am I gonna do? Am I gonna give up? No. I'm going to keep praying. I got him my little prayer kneeler. I got his name right there and I pray for him every day. Told him a couple weeks ago, I'm praying for him. He said, don't. I don't need it or want it. And I said, well, too bad. I'm still going to do it. Smiley face, tick, 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 send, right? Keep praying. Keep praying. We typically think of evangelism as talking to people about God and it is, but it's also talking to God about people, isn't it? and to be able to really ask that question about that. So you got a blank there that only you can fill out in your listening guide. And here's what it says. My heart's desire and prayer to God for blank is their salvation. Whose name needs to go in that blank that you're just gonna pray for their salvation, that they don't know Jesus and you're gonna pray for them? Who comes to your mind right now? Write that person down. Allow that to be the person that you take a step with. It might be a family member, it might be a coworker, it may be a friend, it may be somebody at the gym, it may be somebody at a restaurant you go to a lot or a coffee shop you go to a lot, but let God do his work. Here's my challenge to you, pray every day for the next week for this person. Pray every day for the next week for this person and ask God to do something and you may have an, an opportunity, open up, a door to open up. Now, 
I'll give you, I told you a couple weeks ago, we've been cleaning out stuff around the house and it feels so good, right, to get stuff out. And we've been running across these things. I told you my prayer journal, remember a couple weeks ago, my prayer journal I'd written down when Kelly and I first started dating, I wrote down the Kelly situation with all the romance in my heart. Remember that? It was my prayer request, the Kelly situation. Well, the Kelly situation turned out good 25 years later. It's a blessing. And as I told you now, she's writing down in her prayer journal, the Greg situation, the Greg situation. On it goes. Well, I found also a letter that I wrote to a family member, and this is years ago. I was about 30 years, 30 years old, I believe, when I, I wrote this, and here's what I wrote down. We'd had a conversation, it got cut off, and I said, I, I really wanted to talk to you more about my faith and your faith, and I said this, the first aspect of knowing Christ personally seems simple, but it's often misunderstood. I thought for many years, if I was a good person and lived a good life, then all was well. But I guess I, it just took, uh, excuse me, I guess I just took being a Christian for granted, living in the USA, and I just thought I believed in Jesus. But almost 14 years ago, I realized that belief is an issue of trust, not knowledge. And I believed in my mind that I, but had not trusted Jesus in my heart. Realizing this, I prayed and received his forgiveness for anything and everything I had done in my life and that wasn't what he wanted and placed my life completely in his hands. Now he's my savior and my Lord for the rest of eternity. And I go on further and further and I ask two good questions, which I thought was interesting in this series. Number one, I said, the only two questions that matter for eternity are, have I prayed asking Jesus to be my savior and forgive and to gain his forgiveness and to know him personally? And number two, am I growing each day through his Bible in my faith? So on my heart was this family member and I just, I just wrote him a letter. And you know what happened later? In my heart, I thought, I need to go today. It's my grandmother, she was in a nursing home. And I need to go from here to Louisiana today. And I said, Kelly, we got to go. I don't know why we got to go. So we went and we picked up some chilies and went to the nursing home and sat there and ate. And I led my grandmother to Christ. And the lady that was there working there that was kind of attending to her, she said, oh, you're the pastor. And I said, yes, ma'am. She said, I've been praying for your grandmother. How awesome is that? Prayers answered with the sharing of the gospel. And she responded and trusted Jesus as her savior there. You and I are to pray for our friends. See, God, we please God with interior faith, not just exterior effort. And the Jewish people are trying to please God with exterior effort, getting all the righteousness. And it's interior faith that we place our interior, we're gonna talk about it in a second, our interior faith in Jesus Christ is Savior. It's about the insights, not our works trying to do enough to, to earn heaven. It's about saying, Jesus, I trust you. And it's about praying inside our hearts, praying to the Lord, and then sharing exteriorly, if you will, with those that are around us that need to know Jesus. So be praying and be sharing and walk with God in that way. Now, as we keep moving forward in this, let me show you our second question. And it's found in chapter 10, verse five through 10. But let me give you the question first because I want you to hear this, Sienna, Cyprus, downtown, digital family, listen up. I want you to hear the question, and then we're gonna look for the answer in the scripture, okay? Here's the question. How do we respond to the gospel? Good question. If the most important question is how am I saved, then how do I respond to the gospel? How do I respond? Personally, internally, and externally, okay? 
There's a response personally. It's for you. It's for me personally. It's internally faith in our hearts. It's externally, we'll see with our lives and the confession of our lips, I should say. Here we go, verse five. See if you can figure it out. It's gonna little, I'm gonna explain it to you. First few verses are a little, little unusual, but hang with me. So the end of verse four says, Christ is the end of the law. And that's, I, I should have hammered down on that a little bit. That means he finished the law. That's a big statement to Jewish people. He's the end of the law. He's done it. It is finished, he said on the cross. That's verse four. For the law of righteousness to everyone who believes. Verse five. Since Moses writes about the righteousness, he gets the biggest lawgiver there is, writes about the righteousness that is from the law. The one who does these things will live by them. Meaning if you're gonna go for the law and try to be perfect to get into heaven, you gotta keep it all. But the righteousness that comes from faith speaks like this. Don't say in your heart who will go up to heaven. That is to bring Christ down. You know, Christmas has already happened. The incarnation's already happened. That's what he's saying. You don't have to go up and bring the son of God down. He already came down. Well, who will go down to the abyss? That is to bring Christ up from the dead. Well, Easter's already happened too. Resurrection's already taken place. Verse eight, on the contrary, what does it say? The message is near you, in your mouth and in your heart. This is the message of faith that we proclaim. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. One believes with the heart, interior, resulting in the righteousness, and one confesses with the mouth, resulting in salvation. Now, this is very important. He says, look, you can't go up to heaven and get Jesus and pull him down to earth with your righteousness. Christmas already happened. We got Bethlehem. God sent his one and only son. So whoever believes in him shall have eternal life and not perish, right? John 3, 16. He says, now you can't go in the grave and pull him back up like you're gonna do some old person that said, oh, this was a great person. We're gonna pull him back up. He's already resurrected. Easter's happened. Christmas has happened. So we're good. Jesus is right there with you. And he wants you to know him and he wants it to be right there on you. Warren Wearsby put it like this, the way of God's salvation was not difficult or complicated. We don't have to go to heaven to find Christ or into the world of the dead. He is near us. In other words, the gospel of Christ, the word of faith is available and accessible even this very moment today. The sinner need not perform difficult works in order to be saved. All he has to do is trust Christ. So the first thing is personal, personal. Did you see that it's talking about, it says in verse nine, if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. I can't make the decision for you. Your grandfather being a Christian can't make the decision for you. Your mom being a Christian can't make the decision for you. You being just a nice person can't make the decision for you. It's a personal decision. I made it when I was 16 years old. And to trust in Jesus that I know Christ is my savior and I ask him to forgive my sins and to wash me clean. Have you personally trusted in Jesus Christ? Have you personally trusted in Jesus Christ? Well, I've been in church my whole life. Does not matter. Does not matter. It's good. I'm glad. I'm all for it. Have you personally internally believed in your heart that Jesus rose from the dead. Matthew chapter seven, they did all these exterior miracles, even works, and they did all this stuff for God. And Jesus says to them, you'll come to me and, I, and say, Lord, Lord, and I'll say, turn away from me for I never knew you. So it's not about doing a bunch of stuff. 
It's about trusting Jesus in our hearts. So this question of how am I saved is about faith alone in Jesus Christ alone. Tom Constable, the commentator, says this on the external to confess with your mouth. Paul is saying that a man needs to bring into agreement his confession and his life. The mouth and the heart should be in harmony saying the same thing. So it's saying, Lord, I want you, and we're gonna talk about the mouth in just a second. I want you to be my savior of my heart. I personally make that decision. I internally, eternally make that decision to trust your death, your resurrection on my behalf. And I confess that Jesus is Lord. I say, Jesus, you are Lord. What does that mean? We think Jesus is Lord is this kind of big churchy phrase. It's a bumper sticker. It's a billboard. It's painted, you know, in Houston on I-45. It's painted on those grain towers for a long time. Jesus is Lord. It's kind of a super churchy phrase. When they're saying Jesus is Lord, let's don't forget this. This is a huge phrase. Now, here's what can happen when we go through books of the Bible, and that's what we always do. We get about halfway through the book of the Bible, and we forget who it's being written to. This is written to Rome. It's called Romans, right? The people of Rome, like 2,000 years ago, are receiving this letter from Paul. Just like I wrote my grandmother a letter, he's writing a letter here to Rome. Now, when Rome hears you have to say Jesus is Lord, they go, uh-oh, why? Because in Rome, you had to say Caesar is Lord, Caesar symbolized the imperial cult is what it would be, that he was the embodiment of a God. And the Romans believed that if things went well, it's because they appeased the gods, little G plural. And so if anything went wrong, they would blame the Christians who wouldn't honor Caesar as a God. So now you've got a a moment for a Roman to say, I'm not going to say Caesar is Lord, and I'm going to say Jesus is Lord. That's a huge moment. Do you see it? Do you feel it? The Romans crucified Jesus as a criminal. Remember that part? As a criminal. They didn't honor him. They crucified him as a criminal. And Rome would kind of give a little bit of credence to ancestral religions. So the Jews, they were kind of cool with because they said, well, my dad was a Jew. My grandfather was a Jew. My grandmother was a Jew. My great, 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 great. We can go all the way back to Abraham. But this new Roman, uh, new Christian thing in Rome was like, whoa, Jesus died like 30 years before this is written. And they're like, no, this is a newfangled thing. And you're saying you're not gonna honor Caesar and that can mess up our crops and that can mess up our weather. You're gonna, you're gonna say, Jesus is Lord, the criminal who was crucified and that little providence over there in the Middle East that we own, come on. And they confess Jesus is Lord, meaning he is ruler over my life. Still all based in grace. But I want you to see how these things packaged together. Their hearts needed a savior, realized it, trusted Jesus as their savior. They believed and they confessed and this whole thing came together to trust Jesus Christ. Who's your Lord? Who's your Lord? And have you trusted Jesus as your savior? He's made it super easy, super easy. Do you realize that? to place your faith in Jesus Christ. Now, I asked my mom if I could share this illustration. She said, yes, no one would be surprised. 
she had a TV that went out. And so she asked me if I would help her get a new TV. And she was said, well, I'll go get it. I'll go get it. I said, no, let me take care of the whole thing. So I got the TV. I ordered it, had it delivered to my house so that I could take it to her house. We get there to her house. I hooked the whole thing up. I got her a great TV. It was an awesome TV. It's an internet-based TV. You can surf the internet on it. You can watch Netflix on it. You can go to YouTube on it. You can do all sorts of things on it. And she kept asking me about that. Well, what about this? And what about, should I do this? I said, don't even put in your mind that you can do those things. You just hit this red button on and off is all you got to do. I don't think y'all know my mom or y'all would be laughing a lot more than right now. My mom on an internet-based TV is not going to work, okay? Here's the deal. Technology is moving fast and we all need an, a younger generation to tell us a little bit about it, Okay. And for those that are in my mom's generation, just give up, okay? It is over, all right? It's passed you by. I'm already getting passed by and I have to ask my kids stuff. I made it as easy, press the red button on this new remote control. It will turn on the TV, grab the cable one and do everything you've always done at that moment. There's so many other things that other people may be into. That's not for you, okay? Let me tell you, what do you do to trust Jesus Christ as Savior? You press the red button of his blood. That's it. Well, I want to, I, I got to, I got to do that. No, you don't. You trust Jesus as your Savior. Realize that you have sinned, fallen short of the glory of God, and you need a Savior, and you ask Jesus to forgive your sins, and you confess with your mouth, you're the Lord, and I need you, and I trust you. We don't have time to go all the way through it, but Luke chapter 18 gives a great comparison. Do you remember the tax collector and the Pharisee? And the Pharisee comes and says, thank you, God, I'm not like these people. I've done all these things. And the tax collector who is kind of seen as a bad guy, he says, have mercy on me, God. And the rest of the passage says, and the tax collector walked away justified before God forgiven, right? You just turn to Jesus and let that be what happens. You only need one button, and it's the red button of his blood. Third and final question in Romans chapter 10. I'm gonna give you the question, and then we're gonna look over it. How does our life have impact? How does our life have impact? Persistently point people to Jesus. Persistently point people to Jesus. Sounds like a tongue twister, right? Say that 10 times fast. Persistently point people to Jesus. It means that we are pointing them to Christ. Here's what it says, verse 11 through 13. For the scripture says, everyone, again, we have our second everyone, who believes on him will not be put to shame. That's a quote from Isaiah 28, verse 16. That's Old Testament. Since there is no distinction between Jew and Greek, because the same Lord of all richly blesses all who call on him. Verse 13. For everyone, our third everyone, who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. That's Joel chapter two, verse 32, another Old Testament. So what's he saying? To the Jewish folks, I want you to hear Old Testament. Everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. So what we do, if you're a believer in Christ, is who this question is for, to live a life of impact. You live a life that points people to Jesus. You live a life that points people to Jesus. Now, you won't always know what to say, but you always know who to point them to. And we've heard it said before, preach the gospel at all times, use words if, words if necessary. I love what one DTS professor said. He said this, words are always necessary. 
Words are always necessary. So live in a way that they see the gospel, but then have the courage to be able to say, can I ask you, if you were to die today, would you go to heaven? What would you say to Jesus? What's your faith like? Can you tell me? We've been friends for 30 years. What's your journey of faith like? What do you think about Jesus? Do you wonder as we get older what will happen after we die? And then you have the opportunity to say, let me just tell you what. If you place your faith and trust in Jesus Christ as Savior, he'll forgive your sins, live in your heart, confess him as Lord. You just say, God, this is my life. I give it to you. You trust him. It's the red button that turns on the TV of everything. And as you grow, you'll learn more in the deeper things of God of how it all puts together and all the things that he's blessed you with, all the heavenly blessings that he's given you. But we're to point people to Jesus. Last point, we're done. Everyone is welcome to receive the gospel. Everyone is welcome to receive the gospel. Isn't that amazing? Just like the shampoo commercial with with Israel, everyone is welcome to receive the gospel. And we have so much debate over exclusivity and inclusivity. Let me tell you, the most inclusive thing is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Come, whatever race, whatever age, whatever socioeconomic class, whatever country, whatever place, whatever education level, whatever, 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 he throws it out as one that they were like, do what? Jews and Gentiles. The Jewish people can believe, wait a minute, we're the chosen people, and now all the nations are coming. Everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord, come and receive the gospel, which means good news of Jesus. And you will answer the biggest question in all of eternity. What must I do to be saved? You believe and you trust. And in Siena, Cyprus, downtown, Digital Family Loop, today, some of you need to realize it isn't about going to church. It's about a relationship with Jesus and respond and ask Jesus to be your savior. And what will happen is you'll see that he's the light of the world. Now living in your heart to run the darkness out, to be the light in your savior. Give you a last illustration. And then we're going to worship together. We're gonna respond together. We're gonna trust the Lord. I'm gonna ask too, just as a, by the way, we've gotten into a bad habit as a church of thinking the end of the message is the end of the service. It's not. We're gonna respond to God. And when we begin to kind of leave early to beat traffic, there may be somebody right next to you dealing with God that while they're dealing with God, they've got to put up with, excuse me, excuse me, excuse me, excuse me. We're gonna sit, we're gonna worship, And then I'll close the service and then we're gonna leave out of respect of God moving in people's hearts after hearing how to be saved, right? Now this last illustration, there's a light bulb in Livermore, California in fire station number six. This light bulb has burned since 1901. Let me show you a picture. 
They named it the Centennial Light Bulb in 2001. So it has burned since 1901. So let's say 122 years. How are light bulbs going at your house? Mine aren't working quite that well, right? Got some we got to change probably today. They're going to go out. Since 1901, they believe, some will say 1905, but who cares at this point, right? Since 1901, this light bulb has been lit. It has outlasted three previous fire stations. The company that made it was Shelby Electric does not exist anymore. The building that it was made in does not uh, exist. The factory doesn't exist anymore. And this light bulb is equal to about three candles of light is what it's equal to, okay? Here's what the purpose was when I read about it on the, the official website of it. It says it was, an enable, it was to enable firefighters to see Hoses and ladders in the dark. I tell you this, the gospel has been burning bright. Not since like 1901, but since like 01 seconds of the creation of the world. 01 seconds of the Garden of Eden when he covered them with skin right there, a blood sacrifice in the Garden of Eden, with every prophet that caused, called Israel back home, with every lamb sacrifice in the temple, with every blood offering that was given so that then the prophesied Messiah, Jesus Christ, could step onto planet Earth and he would be the end of the law. We saw in Romans 10 verse four, 10 four, good buddy, the end of the law that he fulfilled the law by keeping it perfectly, then died on a Roman cross. A death that was payment for you and for me. And he rose again from the grave. So we don't have to go to the grave and pull him back out. He's already out and he's near us and he's right there and he's a breath away so that we could say, you are the prophesied Messiah of Israel. You are Jesus Christ. And I need like the sinner in in Luke chapter 18, I need mercy, God, and I come to you and I turn to you and I ask you, Jesus, forgive me, save me. Jesus is Lord. Red button of your blood pressed and the most important question of all of eternity answered by faith in Jesus. My friend, that's Romans 9 and Romans 10. And I don't know a better question. And then we as the church become the light in the firehouse of this world. The flames of heartache, the burn of betrayal, the darkness of depression. We're able to be the light of the world that shares the gospel. And that's a blessing. Whatever campus you're at, we have people that you can come and talk to. If it's about suicide that I mentioned earlier, if it's about salvation that I've been talking about for 30 minutes, if it's about a need you have, you just need somebody to pray for you or you wanna join the church, we've got folks in every campus that are ready to love you greatly. So with that, we're gonna walk in to prayer, to worship with the utmost respect for what God's doing in our hearts. Father, we come in Jesus' name. We thank you, Lord. There's no more important moment that we will have 
in this day or the next day, than responding to you in this time. Do you know Jesus Christ as your Savior? If you're not sure, if you don't know, you just pray, Jesus, I know that I've sinned. I need your forgiveness and your mercy. I ask you to forgive my sin and be my Savior. You are Lord. You're the boss of all eternity and me. I place my faith and trust in you alone. Thank you for your grace. If you do know Christ, you just pray a wonderful prayer and just say, Lord, use me. Use me to be a light in a dark world. We love you, Lord. We thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to the teaching ministry of Houston's First Baptist Church. We invite you to worship with us at one of our four locations, at The Loop, Cypress, Downtown, or Siena. Follow us on social media or visit us online at houstonsfirst.org.